Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies, or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. We're about one week away from Oscars right now, and uh, I have a lot of watching to do for my death race. Um, yeah, uh, this episode is a little bit later than I was hoping. I was hoping to get this out before the weekend, but um, I wanted to make sure I was able to get time to watch all of the uh, technical films as well as all the remaining actor films I needed to watch um, so that I could vote on the Oscars, uh, on the Academy of Death Racers, Deathy Awards. Um, you know, that's going to be coming out on Saturday. Um, voting is uh, due probably around the time this episode goes up, so probably a little bit too late if you're hearing this um, coming out, but um, hopefully you'll be tuning in on Sunday to check that out. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of watching to do for the Death Race for the rest of this week, plus also filming stuff for the Death East, plus uh, also uh, doing one more podcast episode at, uh, at the end of this week. Um, so there's a lot to get into. I'm gonna, let's go quickly over the films. This episode, we're going to go over the films I watched since the last episode, updates to the leaderboards, of course, um, some more Guild Awards that came out, and then kind of what my plan is for the rest of the week. But first off, let's go ahead and take care of that leaderboard. Uh, we have a major jump, and and it makes sense, right? We're toward the end of the race, so people who maybe like myself had been putting things off, or maybe were looking for the last couple of films, um, finally were able to get those. And so last episode, we had thirty nine people uh, in the finishing the death race on OscarsDeathRace.com, uh, uh, managed by Ford versus Ferrari on Reddit. Um, this year, we're up to ninety. This week, we're up to ninety three total people. Um, so that's that's exciting. So congratulations to all of these people uh, who completed. The Death Race. Uh, Luce Squaz, Lydia Tarr, Zaz, M. Diba, B. Prisco, Jehei J. Sandwich Spy, Roysant, Nibor Quinones, Not Alone, Donico NZ, JH Seymour 98, Juggernaut, Joao Victor, Papa, JDK 1999, Jeral Chang Zhang, Gem Memories, Spotify, Book Siegler, White Fang, uh, Legendary Carol SSC C Salkses Number Six uh, Oikund uh, N Zoller Ufrab uh, Elijah So Right Seventy Two Marriage Thirty Nine Some Guy Named James uh, Guden Ruben Rick Squared I'm Borba Tetro Forty Two The Gooder The uh, Mistress DX uh, Ibon Zaim Is Men Sink uh, Zach Fielding Daniel F Costa Bonnery Twenty Twenty Three Akao Miolo, Dao D A W twenty two, Dumbs Dag Ding, Epi, Sell Woods Odds, uh F uh Leads, apologies, uh Ike Ike, Ben Zubs, uh the Dayman fifty six, and Gay Raggedy Man. Congratulations to everyone there. A lot of familiar faces from the Academy of Death Racers Discord. So great to see people finishing up the Death Rays uh, before the Oscars. Myself, I'm currently at rank 338 out of 857 people uh, on legislature on the website with 64% of the films complete, 30 features and 5 films completed with 9 features and 10 sorts remaining. Um, if you go by uh, Slight Astronomer's uh, His Seat, uh, I approximately have 75.58 of the race left based on duration. Um, this is two actress films, uh, including Blonde, which is fairly long, uh, one song film, of course, Tell Like a Woman, two of the animated features, and then four international films. Um, as well as all of the documentary and animated sword films. 
So that's what I have to do for the rest of the week. We'll get to what I, how I plan on tackling all those later. But uh, first, let's also go over all of the Guild Awards, on what's happened since the last episode. So when I was recording last the last episode, this was actually the night of the Costume Designer Guilds Awards. Hadn't finished by the time I finished recording, so I didn't include them. But uh, the results for that one were Elvis won in period piece over uh, fellow Oscar nominees Babylon and Mrs. Harris. And then Everything Everywhere won in sci-fi fantasy over Black Panther um, with Glass Onion against no other nominees in contemporary. So I think this kind of really suggests that the front runner is probably Elvis, since I believe period piece is a little bit more indicative of um, the, the winner here. Um, the fact that also Everything Everywhere, who's probably not considered the front runner by most, did win over Black Panther, uh, who is you know who who was led by who um, is is helmed by a former Oscar winner. Um, you know, probably suggests that you know if they were, if Black Panther was the second place film, it's pretty far behind Elvis if it also lost behind Everything Everywhere. So I would definitely say Everything Ever Elvis is probably the uh, main contender for for Costume Designers Guild. Uh, moving to Cinema Audio Society, one of the uh, the other uh, sound award at um, Guild. Um, the main awards here were Pinocchio won, of course, in animated, and then Top Gun Maverick, of course, won for live action. Uh, moving to the Independent Spirit Awards, this isn't necessarily you know indicative of the Oscars since obviously these have a independent film bias, and that of course means that Everything Everywhere uh, made a major sweep uh, with a record-breaking seven wins for a single film. I believe the most in Independent Spirit uh, Awards history. And we won Picture, it won Director, uh, the new co-mixed-gender uh, lead category from Michelle Yeoh, the mixed-gender uh, supporting category for uh, Kei Hoi Kwan, also for breakout film Stephanie Su. Um, Make up performance rather, Stephanie Sue. Also, one for screenplay edit, and editing. Um, meanwhile, the other winners of the night were Afterson for first feature, Emily the Criminal for first screenplay, Tar for cinematography, and All the Beauty and Bloodshed for documentary, as well as Joyland for international. Uh, next up, we have the USC Scripter Award, which is an award given uh, to uh, adapted film uh, screenplays. Um, the winner here was Pinocchio. Um, the fellow, the other nominees for the USC Scripter were Pinocchio. Or, sorry, the winner was Woman Talking, and then the, it won over fellow nominees uh, Pinocchio, Top Gun, Seaset, and Living. So again, I think the, uh, Woman Talking is, is definitely the strongest uh, contender for this category in the Oscars. Uh, American Cin Cinema Editors Award, um, the award for... Uh, Top Drama went to the Top Gun uh, over All Quiet on the Western Front, Elvis, Tar, and The Woman King. Um, Everything Everywhere uh, won for Comedy over Banshee's Glass Onion and the Menu and Triangle of Sadness. Um, and then Pinocchio won for Animated and then Fire of Love won for Documentary. So I think for editing, um, this is again, you know, essentially at this point, two sweeps, right? Um, either, you know, Everything Everywhere sweeping, right, is, is kind of like a precedent, Um at a lot of places that, you know, will it end up breaking a, 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 a precedent there um, that, that, um, that that everything everywhere is just winning all of these things and will it end up losing editors or will it end up, uh, Top Gun end up uh, winning because it has the sound on lock at this point, basically. So it'll be interesting. These two, I think, are the main contenders for this category. Uh, for American Society of Cinematographers, um, the winner was Elvis over Empire of Light, uh, Batman, Bardo, and Top Gun. Uh, fellow nominees that were not present for American Society of Cinematographers were All Quiet on the Western Front, who is the other presumed frontrunner, and Tar. Um, so I think this one is you know, between basically uh, Elvis or uh, All Quiet at this point. Uh, All Quiet, of course, being the European uh, British contingent uh, versus Elvis, which I think might be a little bit more of the American contingent. So uh, documentary also all that breeds ended up being the winner here. 
And then finally for the Riders Guild Awards, Everything Everywhere completed its sweep, getting four out of the four major guilds, um, winning the, the original screenplay category over Fablemans, The Menu, Nope, and Tar. Um, notably, Banshees of Inisarin was not awarded, uh, was not recognized here because it was deemed ineligible by the guild, and so it's still the major contender against Everything Everywhere for Oscar night. And then uh, Woman Talking uh, won Adapted, of course, over Black Panther, uh, Glass Onion, Sea Set, and Top Gun. Um, so yeah, that, those are the, the former Guild Awards. I don't believe there are any more major Guild Awards beyond casting, which doesn't really have an analog at the uh, Oscars at this point. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is basically all the, the precursors are in place. Um, today, right, as I record this and release this, uh, um, uh, March 7th is the last day of Oscar voting. So um, yeah, we'll still be seeing in the next week basically what's going to happen. Like everything's at this point, and it's up to the PWC uh, accountants uh, to figure out what's going on. And then finally, you know, let's go ahead and talk about the films that I did watch. This is going to be a relatively quick episode. Like I said, I have a lot of things to work on this week. Um, so first off, you know, I, uh, two weeks ago at this point, you know, so uh, I'm, I wanted to finish off all of the technical categories. I had, you know, the one-off films. So uh, in uh, first off, in cinematography, I had yet to watch Bardo and Empire of Light. Um, and then in costume, I had yet to finish Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. So we'll talk about those three first. Uh, Bardo, um, you know, has had gotten a little bit of a bad rap, honestly, right? Um, it, it was described at coming out of the film festivals as, you know, obviously AGI and Yuritu has, you know, is, has kind of like a reputation as being a bit of a, um, you know, uh, not not necessarily the best director to work for per se, given how uh, sometimes he treats his staff on on on, on set and whatnot. Uh, but he, you know, it it is also without question that he, the man makes amazing films. That's said, this one was was called you know overly long, right? The original cut, I believe, was like three hours plus or something like that. Um, and it also was called self-indulgence to some degree, right? Um, you know, uh, given that it's like semi-autobiographical, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, the award defenders, Chloe Zhao, most notably, I think, coming out of the film festival was, was the most um, effusive for Bardo. Um, but, but other people call it self-indulgent and kind of wandering and, and meandering without really much of a point beyond stroking his own ego. Um, and I can definitely see that. But at the same time, right, in a year where The Fablemans ends up being the, uh, is it was at least for a long time, one of the pre like the, the favorites to win uh, for Best Picture early on, um, the, you know, I, made, I honestly like Bardo as a self-indulgent semi-autobiographical film by a renowned filmmaker, right? Um, you know, I think The Fablemans is mostly just Steven Spielberg working through his own trauma or experiences as a kid um, through his films rather than go to therapy, kind of like how he did with all of his other films in the past. Um, but Bardo, right, I think uh, tackles bigger questions, right? Sir, there's a self-indulgent bit of it where, you know, the the the... the character there is, is kind of simply reflective of, of Inuritu's own life, but it also does tackle questions of, like, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, living in the States and having a successful career in, like, you know, the English-speaking war world um, against, you know, but also how does it feel to be, you know, Mexican? You know, I, I feel a lot of this, you know, being in the Philippines, I have some relatives you know, living here in the States who are, you know, uh, who are very critical of the Philippines? Obviously, I mean they came and lived here for a reason. But and and, and I see I also see like the own you know, I see the own flaws in the Philippines. But at the same time, when someone starts to criticize the Philippines, who's not Filipino, sometimes you know I get a little indignant at right times. And it's kind of that that weird tension in between. Some definitely some weird imagery going on in here. But I will say, um, at least from the perspective of cinematography, Darius Kanzi, like I was counting the cuts, and like for the first ten minutes, there were like twelve cuts all of them beautifully sought and framed and compositive and lit. And it was just such a, 
such a stunning, I think, use of cinematography that you know, even if it was um, the the plot itself was maybe a little bit too meandering um, and maybe a little bit too inscrutable, um, the cinematography. I think this was one of the best looking films. And honestly, out of all the films for cinematography, I would I actually voted for this as my uh, pick for cinematography in the Deathies, uh, in the absence of Top Gun Maverick. Now you know the other cinematography. Uh, overall, by the way, for for uh, for Bardo, I gave it, um, I believe, uh, uh, three out of five. You know, it was, it was a good film. It definitely had its flaws to it, um, but you know, it also uh, swung for the fences and and at least tried to do something, even if it didn't necessarily land uh, stick the landing. Uh, next up in cinematography, we had uh, Empire of Light. Um, and so this was uh, this past Sunday, the 5th, I watched three films. It ended up being all the British films, actually. So we'll talk about those in order. So Empire of Light, you know, is Sam Mendes' follow-up with, you know, uh, um, um, you know the Nine Inch Nails guys, you know, doing the score. And then, uh, of course, Roger Deakins doing the cinematography. And, I mean, this film was... I think a bit of a disappointment given that on paper it looked like that. And people had warned that, you know, this was kind of like a nothing film, right? And I think screenplay-wise, you know, outside of Toby Ford's monologue about just the wonder of cinematography and, and, and how great, you know, that, that, that moment of, you know, making the, the, the moving pictures 24 frames per second trick your, your mind into thinking there's movement on screen, like that was, you know, that's the best part of the film and they honestly just use it for the trailer, right? Um, now, you know, the, the plot-wise, I mean, Olivia Coleman's a great actress, right? And this, she was great in here. I, I appreciated the depiction of bipolar disorder, um, you know, in... You know, I don't know how realistic the depiction was, um, but I think it was probably a little bit less comedic. It was it was, it was played straight, I think, right? Um, that said, you know, a lot of the rest of this film was... What was the script trying to say? Was it about race? Was it about, like ambition was it about mental health was it about feminism like that this this film had like real no real aim or purpose that i could really point at right and i mean the fact that you know during the skinhead riot they sent the black guy to help lock up the the movie theater doors um was just not good writing on that part right like have anyone else lock up the movie theater uh and you know i and that whole climax would have been avoided right so it was just not a great movie in that regard um and in terms of cinematography it was okay. I definitely not Roger Deakins' best work. I think honestly, this is like more a name check nomination than you know actually his best work or the best work of the year. Um, you know, I, I that like Top Gun again definitely should have been nominated in here over Empire of Light. So overall, I gave Empire of Light. I mean, you know, I would give it a one out of five, but the cinematography was decent enough, and those those moments of that 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 that, that monologue by Toby Ford was you know good enough. I'm not, I'll bump it up to a two out of five, but definitely not a film I would recommend unless you're doing the Death Face. On the flip side, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris was a quaint little film, right, for uh, costume design. You know, I mean, you know, the plot is, you know, pretty straightforward, right? This this working woman ends up, you know, going and um, and falling in love with a Dior dress from one of her clients, um, saves up the money by happenstance to essentially uh, go to Paris and, you know, get her own dress um, and then end up, uh, and then end up uh, making friends and changing the way that they do things over there. I mean... Plot-wise, it was fine. It was quaint. You know, I still, I, I frankly haven't seen uh, Paddington yet, but it kind of has that British sensibility of, of you know, decorum, but, you know, and, and but also like the working man's plight, right? Um, I think which was, you know, s simple enough. I mean, 
costume-wise, I think this definitely deserves it just because, again, it's a film about fashion set in Paris and the costumes were the best part, kind of like the way that Cruella was a couple years ago, right? So I think in that regard, uh, you know, Mrs. Harris earned, I think, you know, Jenny Beaven, you know, unlike, is kind of also a name who tends to get name-checked, uh, but she also just does great work every year. So I think this is a, a great nomination for Mrs. Harris. And, you know, one of the surprises, I won't say it was like the best film I saw, right? I think it's probably like a three out of five overall, but it was an enjoyable, probably the most lighthearted film over the bunch I watched on uh, on Sunday. So um, give it three out of five. Now, as far as costume goes, uh, I would actually give this the, the win for costume, right? I think over over other, you know, I mean, like Elvis obviously had his costumes and, and so on. But again, there's something about like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a sucker for films about the fashion industry having great costumes. But, you know, I'll give it a here. And, you know, there's also this, this funny image. Now, there is like a bit of like, uh, and I'm rambling here. I don't really have notes written down for this episode, by the way. But just like a fun little thought of, you know, it's a film kind of praising the whole hyper-capitalist, you know, wealth disparity of um, of of the Dior brand, right? Which, you know, ends up w- with, like, with the main character being, like, a common working-class woman and essentially power to the people bringing back the French Revolution and communism. That was, like, a, you know, there's, there's some edit out there of, uh, of, um, of Mrs. Ayres doing the, uh, doing the, um, what's it, doing the, uh, uh, car, the the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx, um, which you know I don't think she would appreciate being you know British and all that, but that's that's still interesting enough. So um, yeah, that was essentially uh, my thoughts on the technical film so far. I'm done with all the technical categories now, um, but I'm not yet done with my Sunday films. The last film I watched on Sunday was um, another British film, which was The Living. So this one was adapted screenplay based off of the um, the uh, Akira Kurosawa film Ikiru, which I have not seen notably, um, and then. Uh, and then also Bill Nye for kind of like a career check um, legacy award for um, his portrayal and also just his history of, of being a legendary British actor. Now, I think living, uh, hmm, I, I, I think peop- a lot of people don't, not don't like living, but kind of find it uh, middling to some degree, right? Like, I mean, on Leatherbox, it you know has like a 3.6 or so. I see a lot of maybe like uh, twos and threes from people, though, who I uh, who I have friended on, on Leatherbox for this film, right? Um, I really like this film. And maybe it's kind of like the point where I am in my life. You know, I'm trying to figure out my next career move at this point, um, figure out what to do. I just turned, you know, 31. So what am I doing for the next decade of my life? Um, and, you know, maybe this is a, maybe this is more strength of the original source material, you know, having looked up the, the synopsis of Ikiru, right? Which, you know, I can see definitely translates here. But, I mean, living just made me think really a lot about what am I doing with my life and how do I have a zest for life and what am I gonna what kind of legacy and impact am I going to have leaving behind le, le, what do I what do I leave behind me right um and I mean like you know Bill Nye I think if we, so I think on the adapted screenplay front I mean again I think that's maybe a strength of the original screenplay more than this one but the fact that I was able to get out of the cross translated to the British you know um, the British uh, uh, setting right I think makes sense there's obviously a lot in here I think of the um, you know, it reminds me in some ways of Sin Godzilla, where Sin Godzilla was kind of like a takedown of the bureaucracy of the Japanese government, and this is kind of like a similar thing, the bureaucracy of the British, uh, you know, county hall or whatever, right? Public works and all that. Where, um, you know, I think, you know, obviously, I think maybe it hits a little bit more so for knowing how things are in Japan and the bureaucracy there, as opposed to, it would have hit more there as opposed to the British one. But that being said, right, I mean... Um, I think I also, well, I'm not sure how, I haven't seen the original Ikiru, but from the Wikipedia summary, it kind of ends on the down note 
whereas here I think they they adapted it to end on a little bit more of an up note, right? Of of him on the on the swings and all that, and yeah, I think that is just a. I think I appreciate that change if that is indeed how it changed. I probably am going to go back and watch Ikru after this death race. Now, as far as Bill Nye for his portrayal, I put this in the Discord, but honestly, like I really appreciate it when an actor can come in. And give a performance that on paper and at first glance doesn't seem like he's really doing anything. But if you look at it, there are like layers to the emotion that are like just beneath the surface that, you know, he maybe doesn't, he's not the most expressive person. Um, at least, you know, he, he doesn't make like the big faces and, and overacting, right? I think those subtle acting moments, I think, are the things that get me most. It's why I think I my personal favorite, having seen all of the nominees, I think is Paul Mescal of this, of this, um, of this category. Um not a very silly performance, right? It's very subtle, very understated, um, but carries so much weight when you, when in conjunction with the script and so on, you kind of see where it's going. I think Bill Nye kind of carries that same gravitas and kind of that same, you know, acting, you know, just beneath the surface where you can get a sense of how he's feeling just with how he's holding himself. Not in a very overacted or very physical performance way, but just in how he holds himself. And I think that's what I really like about this. So I actually gave this one a four out of five. Um, really enjoyed living. And it definitely made me think about my life. So um, overall, definitely a, 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 a nice pickup for the Death Race, which I'm glad to have watched. And then, you know, uh, last night um, on the uh, on Monday, right, I ended up actually watching The Whale as the other actor uh, film that I had yet to watch. And also, you know, getting supporting actress for Hong Chao, um, as well as uh, makeup and makeup and hair, hair and makeup as well. And I mean, in a similar vein, actually, these two films were kind of thinking about, you know, if, if you were to put a trend to it, these are the these are films thinking about what legacy, what are you leaving behind to the next like after you after you die right um you know in in living's cases you know what what impact will he have had uh in this case a, a playground right the other and the other for the whale right is is how will he you know know that he he left his daughter in good hand and he raised someone who's good and kind and all that right um despite being you know a, a, in his eyes a mess up in other ways and i think the whale is very i think divisive i'm still honestly not sure what to think of it but i think it that's a good sign in that the, if if i can come to a conclusion on a film shortly after i see it that's probably a sign that it'll not age as well over time right like when i saw ant-man right it was enjoyable enough i gave it like a three out of five but over time the more i thought about it you know it kind of dropped down to a two out of five this one i kind of started on the three out of five i'm not really sure what to think about the whale but just thinking about it more thinking about the screenplay which i know is divisive for a lot of people but i really like the way that you know it's definitely like a play written for this like written for the play that was essentially just filmed on stage right which by the way not nominated here but i think uh matthew libatik's um cinematography um you know working with darren aronofsky was amazing here and you know it would have been nice to see maybe this get a nomination i love like the you know it, it wasn't like a lot it was like a very limited set of just within his apartment but the way they were able to to film around it and and bring out the emotion as in the camera tracked around them was pretty great so in any case um okay so i think i like the screenplay i think there's you know the characters kind of have the represent different things on you know how to how they can potentially be helping um you know charlie and his uh, brendan Fraser's character is charlie and all that right and then kind of like how he's helping them and, and figuring in all this out right i think there's this interconnectedness to that where they all are similar in a certain way but not I, I i don't quite have the words to express it unfortunately it's something i need to think on a little bit more but i think it's there i think i need to dwell on it a little bit more which I think is again a sign of a good film 
Now, as far as the individual nominations, right? So first off, obviously, Brendan Fraser acting. I just talked about Bill Nye being kind of like a very subtle actor who, you know, doesn't, not a very physical performance, not a very explosive, exuberant performance. Like, say, you know, I would say um, Austin Butler is probably one of the louder performances here. Um, I think Brendan Fraser veers in that direction a little bit. You know, a lot of, you know, crying and emotional scenes and so on. At the same time, I also say he has like that under the surface, you know, this is the, he, you, you can fully believe that this person had a life beyond what you've seen on the stage and he kind of brings that in its entirety. So there's that. Um, kind of hand in hand with that is, of course, the hair and makeup and, of course, the 300-pound prosthetic suit that Brendan Fraser wore, which it was just like, uh, like, it, like it was just a, a uh, like it, it doesn't seem like it would be a big cinematic moment, but just the moment when he stands up from his couch and you just see how much he's wearing and how you know how much how how heavy he is, right? That is just like I don't know if awe inspiring is the word, but it was definitely like a oh my gosh moment, right? And you can if you realize like he's wearing this and he's acting in this and they did it and it looks authentic, right? I mean there was like this you know the the famous Roger Rabbit thing like hit the lamp, right? Where you know he's in the fat suit in the sour, you know, scrubbing himself, right? Like that is you know essentially the makeup guilt's like here we're gonna put this fat suit in his in the sour and he's going to be look realistic in it. I mean, yeah, this film I think does not work without the prosthetic, right? Um, I had the All Quiet on the Western Front as my pick going into the up until I saw this, but I'm, again, this film literally will not work unless you have the fat suit and the prosthetics and the hair and makeup here. Um, and so I think you know that would probably make this give this the win for me. And going back to Austin Butler, uh, sorry, to to Brendan Fraser, the fact that he was able to have this physical performance, right? Admittedly, in doing something not very physical, sitting around, but in this fat suit, and also give an emotional and perform emotional performance as well. Like, I don't know who I think this could very well be a sign that he ends up winning the Oscar, in my opinion, right? I think, I don't know. I think this is a, I think this is a very good category, I think, for best. I think every nominee here is really good. I, honestly, I don't think any one would be a wrong pick, right? Be it Butler or Farrell or Fraser, right? So, again, just a great all around. I'm just glad he's getting recognized, at least with the nomination. And then finally, Hong Chao, right? I think. Honestly, I love the way that she was. Uh, I love her performance in in here, right? She's been a long time coming in terms of you know she should be getting a nomination at some point, and I'd love to see more of her in the future. Um, yeah, this this was a, a masterclass performance by Hong Chao. I'm really glad she got nominated. Probably won't win, but I would honestly be be uh, ama- I, I would honestly be very happy if she did. And it's not going to happen, but um, again, the, uh, amazing performance. So overall, I think just because of my thoughts of. This is the whale. The whale has, I think, a lot to it that needs to be unpacked. Um, it's not a very shallow script. It's a, it, it, I think there is a lot to it, right? Um, yeah, the, the, the very, very second to last scene, right, when he's walking is kind of a little cheesy. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think this – I would love, honestly, to see this in play format and see it in, in, in person. But I don't know if they're going to be playing that anytime soon. Anyway, uh, gave the whale four out of five. I'm rambling at this point. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the final category that I finished. So uh, also on Monday, um, I went middle of the day or so, you know, uh, think perks of fun employment, um, to the IFC Center to watch the uh, sorts, specifically the live action sorts category. So um, these are the five sorts. I'm going to just go through them, you know, somewhat quickly. Um so first up was Ivalu, you know the uh, the I believe the indigenous like the Greenland I think um, you know film about you know a, a girl who's looking for her sister um, and it's kind of revealed slowly over a period of time that her sister 
essentially ran away implied killed herself um you know by drowning in you know to escape you know abuse right um and kind of you know i think this is like one part of nature documentary kind of sewing the um sewing the, the the landscapes and the beauty of greenland but then also right like that 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 interspersed kind of like the, the learning what happened in flashbacks i think um you know i think this is like a well done film i don't think it was like it did anything extraordinary but i think it was you know definitely worthy so i would give this one a three out of five uh next up was night ride which is from the new yorker you know the story of you know a a um a sword person who ends up you know essentially stealing a uh a tram and then you know driving it uh in a snowy uh, i forget which country it's in but a snowy um snowy winter and ends up you know picking up some passengers you know with them thinking he's the driver and then you know helping defuse essentially um a a queer defuse some some harassment of a queer passenger basically um i mean it was i think this was a little bit more lighthearted if you know there was definitely some 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 uncomfortable stuff to watch which you know i think a, a good sword will have some uncomfortable things to watch um if it's for a reason again i don't think it did anything extraordinary but i think it was you know an amusing concept right and i think it was um you know it was a, it was, a, it was a nice sword to pass the time with um my least favorite sword was actually i think the one that many would consider the front runner which is le pupil uh which is the uh Quaron, uh produced film uh and it's on disney plus but i don't have disney plus anymore so i have to watch it here um film about you know some uh, italian girls during the second world second world war i believe um you know uh, essentially you know who are who are essentially uh used by the nuns in order to like get donations for their prayers um and then how they kind of rebel against them uh in the form of, of getting a cake um i don't know i did not like this one i don't see the point of this existing right like i mean at least for example eva lu kind of like has this message and story about abuse right um and also nature and then uh night ride you know has a has the story about standing up for injustice um Lepu Peel, I don't know what it's trying to say. And also, this just comes in under, like, the 40-minute limit for a sword at 38 minutes. This did not need to be this long, I think. Um, and it didn't really do anything particular. I mean, it was a bunch of kids, and they got to act, and I get that. I guess that's impressive. But, I mean, I don't think this was just that well done, per se. So I, I, I gave this one a 2 out of 5 stars. Luckily, the last two films, I think, were my favorites of the category. Um, the Red Suitcase, um, I really enjoyed. You know, it's a very tense thriller. Um, and it, it does everything you want in a short film. It sets up the premise and you kind of, without telling you, without a lot of exposition, but you kind of get a sense of who the character is, you know, through what's in her bag. You kind of get the stakes. It sets it up very tensely, very thriller-like um, and keeps you on the edge of the seat the entire time, right? And you kind of get a sense of this complete narrative arc within while also raising awareness of this issue of arranged marriages right so um it's, you know there was another sort last year like that as well so i honestly gave red 2k's four out of five and it's kind of tied i think for my pick for this category uh with the last film which is an iris goodbye um sorry the red suitcase and the iris goodbye which you know um in a similar way i think to uh living and whale kind of also is the question like what do you do after you're gone right and you know, it, remind, it reminded me of, like, you know, times with my siblings and how I don't spend a lot of time with them anymore just because I'm living in another place. Um, you know, made me just think of all of these things and, and, and brotherly bonds. And, you know, with Banshees of Inisarian, you know, I get a little bit of a better sense of what Iris humor is like, which I think I like. Um, and the fact that I just call, I mean, it was just a very funny film. I think this is the most most lighthearted of all of these sorts, which is always great. I, I always love seeing the lighthearted ones kind of succeed, so... 
Um, I mean, I gave this one a four out, a four out of five as well. Um, I mean, I mean, how can you not for for a film where the mom mom's asses Aaron's go skydiving is one of the funniest scenes that I I la- I audibly laughed out loud in the, the auditorium with, and also just calling Jesus a bit of a dickhead, uh, which is kind of um, maybe blasphemous, but also kind of funny. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely. Um, I, I would definitely not be upset if Iris Goodbye and the Red Suitcase wins. I just don't want Lippu Pills to win here. So yeah, that's everything I've watched um, since the last episode, and we have one more week to go. So uh, let's go over my plan for the rest of the week. So today's Tuesday. You know, uh, it's a little bit after about 1 p.m. Uh, as I'm recording this right now. So this will probably be up in a little bit. So I'm going to spend the rest of the afternoon filming stuff for the Deathies. You know, which again is coming on uh, Saturday. Uh, but my as far as film goes, I'm going to planning to watch EO, right, the donkey film uh, from Poland, uh, which I believe is on VOD currently, as well as the Sea Beast, uh, from an animated film which is currently on Netflix. Um, so I'm going to do those. I um, also have my box office podcast I need to work on. And then Wednesday, tomorrow, you know, uh, I'm going to be trying to watch uh, all of the sorts, um, uh, which are, um, you know, the document, the, the documentary and, uh, and, and animated sorts. Um, and then, you know, if I can also have time, I'll try to watch Blonde as well in the middle of the day, the three-hour film. So that's going to be fun. Um, yeah, and I'm also going to try to be finishing up editing uh, all of my deathies, um Nadethi Awards um, sort um, segments, um, and then Thursday, um, the plan is to watch Argentina 1985. Um, I also thought that Close would be in theaters, specifically AMC, and I could maybe try to see it for um, for free using my AMC A list. Um, I need to wait for the show times just to be sure when exactly that is, but I'm hoping I'm able to actually get some time to do that. Um, if I don't get to see it in theaters, I'll end up watching it at home. Um, so Close and Argentina 1985, the two international films on Thursday. And then Friday, um, I'm gonna uh, I'm going to go watch uh, Quiet Girl at AMC theaters. Um, when it, it comes, you know, it, it's been in indie theaters up to this point. It'll be in AMC, um, you know. So I'll be doing that on Friday afternoon, as well as also watching Puss in Boots, uh, which comes to Peacock. Um, so I don't have to actually pay to rent it. Um, so I'll be watching Pe- so I'll watching Puss in Boots and Quiet Girl. Um, also, uh, I will be working on my uh, should have an episode out hopefully that Friday for um, you know my predictions for who's going to win each category. I'm going to have John from Red Carpet Rosters on uh, to talk about that. You know, um, obviously we recorded that a little bit uh, last weekend already, actually. So I'm not going to be fully up to date when you hear that recording, but, you know, I'll, I'll kind of supplement it with that. Um, and then also, you know, that day I plan to watch Two Leslie. Uh, or if not, if not on Friday night, then maybe on uh, Saturday. Um, so yeah, of course, Saturday, you know, we'll be finishing up, uh, to Leslie, um, maybe, um, and then, uh, also the death he saw at 6 PM. Um, and then if, and then probably also try to watch a uh, teller like a woman, which is the last film I'm going to need to be watching. So, um, and of course, Sunday is the Oscars at 8 PM. So anything I haven't seen by then, I'm definitely going to need to be making time on Sunday to watch. Uh, but yeah, that's the plan for the rest of my week for the Oscars. You know, a lot of stuff to do again, make sure you tune into the Academy of death racers, uh, death awards on, uh, on 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 um on Saturday, and if you haven't, also reminder that you know you have about one week to enter uh, my contest uh, to predict the winner uh, for each category with a twenty-five dollar prize. The link will be in the show notes, um, and you know details will be in last week's episode, but also in the uh, death uh, death racers Discord as well as on the Oscars race subreddit. So, um, yeah, that's the uh, that's the plan for the rest of the week, and yeah, I gotta get back to doing the work. So, with that, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know 
know how your death race is going over on Twitter at Oscars D Racecast or email at Oscars Death Race Podcast at Zealand.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You leave a review there or just share with a friend, any of that helps. Also, linked in the zones will be my Letterbox account, uh, the username Ninja Boy, Boy with an I. And again, check out the Oscar Race, Oscars Death Race subreddit, and the Academy of Death Races Discord, as well as OscarsDeathRace.com and DeathRaceTracking.com. Um, music used, used in the show is provided by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetent of Fumisa.io. Editing production by Ninsboy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Mm-hmm.